recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada, a Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, presented by the National Lighting Bureau, the Illuminating Engineering Society, and the International Dark Sky Association. Added to the IES's 2021 Progress Report, this is Restoring Darkness Podcast. Welcome back. Get a grip on lighting and Restoring Darkness listeners. Yeah, this is going to be a joint one. That's right. We're going to put it out in the RestoringDarkness.com feed and the getagriponline.com. So you might have to double it up. If you subscribe to both, listen to it twice. That's all I can say. Because on today's show, we have Diane Knutson, the chairperson of the IDA. I think she's going to correct me in a second if I got that wrong. But uh, she began to advocate for the reduction of light pollution by connecting policymakers with night preservation advocates within South Dakota, founding an international dark sky chapter in South Dakota, USA. Chapter coordinates events in the Black Hills, Paha Sapa, such as Mickelson, as the Mickelson Star Trail Nights and Citywide Dark Sky Festivals. Diane earned a master's degree from the University of Iowa and a bachelor's degree in community health education from the University of Nebraska. As a business owner of night-friendly businesses and an involved parent, Diane brings business and leadership experience. Although she has two post-secondary degrees, Diane still believes some of her best education comes from connecting with others under a sky of full stars, so her and I share that in common. She finds Psalm 19 rings true. Night after night, the heavens reveal their knowledge. Diane wants all to remember that a portion of our time belongs under a star-filled sky, even if it simply if it's simply to get a good night's sleep. But before we talk to her, which sounds super exciting for Greg and I, we gotta talk about Keystone Technologies. Greg Garrick, you gotta go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H dot com, the big easy. Keep it easy. That's right. Light made easy with Keystone. And we talk a lot about their different products that they have, and most of it's focused on the interior, but they have a full line of exterior including, I think Diane's going to like this, a full cutoff wall pack. Yeah. So what that does is eliminates undesirable sky glow and glare, and that has that dark sky-friendly performance. Multiple lumen packages, Kelvin temperatures, everything. So check those guys out for that. Big easy. That's right, KeystoneTech.com. And, of course, Keystone's going to be in Dallas, April 13th to 16th at the Nailed Convention, which is tied up with the Arclight Summit. Go to NAILD.org. Check it out. Nailed.org, but for right now, what a pleasure it is to have Diane Newton in the virtual Get a Grip on Lighting Studios. Hello, Diane. How are you? Hello. Good. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Greggy, what do you got, man? We got well, we got the uh, chair. Is it chairperson? Is that the right name? Yeah, chair. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, let's yeah, start off a little with yeah, with your background. What uh, what? How did you get involved in the IDA, or where did you, how did you get to that point? I know it probably took some time, but Tell yeah, it really started more uh, local advocacy as I was a park ranger at Wind Cave National Park in South Dakota, and I would do campfire programs on stars and the night. And I had a eight-year-old come up to me and at the end of the program asked me a question. And she said, what happens if we don't stop light pollution? And I thought, Oh man, mm. I just gave you a bunch of problems and not a way mm. to solve it. So mm. uh, you can see the sky glow of Rapid City, which is over 60 miles away in within the border of 
Wind Cave. And I thought, if I'm going to really put my money where my mouth is, I want to go and open a business in Rapid City and show that you can have a night friendly business and still make money. And so I started operating a business that has timers and lights pointing down and really controlled and dimmed and off at times. And I always thought, you know, it was a fitness business and nobody's driving around at 2 a.m. looking at my sign saying, I need to go to that place tomorrow morning because of my lit up sign. So, uh, well, at least not the next morning because they're probably going to be hung over, Greg. <laughs> so, I, I don't need that. There's other clients that we can coach. So, uh, and, and a lot of people look for night sky friendly businesses too. So, uh, that's, um, was a passion of mine to make sure that we can make that profitable and also environmentally friendly. And then I is, just, is that what, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm just, is that like a certification you can get to be a night friendly business? Or is that just a term you use? Um, so that's kind of a term that I use. There, there's some communities that do certify it in their local area. Um, Texas does that I, on a more rigorous way, and I follow the lighting principles. So uh, you know, only using light when it's needed, and dimming, uh, low profile lighting, and non decorative lighting. So are you getting involved in, at least in the business you had in advanced controls and were you using motion sensors outdoor? Were you getting that far along or just timing it? Uh, we used timing mostly. I had, um, okay. had the lights off when we were closed and uh, as the least amount of lumens and warm color temperatures uh, and then just um, really only using the brightness that was needed to get the job done, starting with um, zero and going up versus kind of starting high and going down, which happens a lot. Sure. Now you, you mentioned the local advocacy thing and, and I just share a little story on my end is um, I was in Duluth, Minnesota, which is on, you know, the beginning of the North shore, people that don't know the North mm -hmm. shore, it's the road that goes along Lake Superior on the corner of Minnesota. If you took that thing all the way around, you might go visit Mike in Toronto. It's a long drive, mm -hmm. but you can do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but in Duluth and I was at a, uh, at a restaurant, and I remember walking out to go to the bathroom and I saw in a hallway, there was a bunch of little flyers on dark sky. And then it was like mm -hmm. little handouts. And so it, it was some local advocacy and there's some local branch in Duluth. And this was probably five years ago. And that was kind mm -hmm. of the first time I've seen that out there. Is that the kind of thing? Is that what IDA is about? Is all the local branches kind of doing their thing and, you know, getting everybody the word or how do you, how do you guys go about it? How do you control that? Yeah, it's multifaceted. There's a lot of empowering the local chapters and local delegates and advocates because each location does vary so much. I mean, we've got different languages, different geographical uh, diversity and different environments. And um, so it, it does help really to have local advocates. And as an international dark sky group, we kind of try to be cohesive in what our messaging is, what our policy is, and be the kind of thought leaders on uh, getting people together and connecting um, so we can have a different approaches um, based on different locations. You know, it, it's interesting. You, you said a few things when you were talking about, you know, policies and, you know, different kinds of programs and, and things that people that, you know, dark sky advocates do. I think there's a problem with the basic terminology and I want mm -hmm. to propose something to you, Diane, 
as a, as a query, as a as a, you're not a colleague because I'm in the lighting industry, but as as someone who is as passionate about this issue as as me, how's that? Um, mm-hmm. I think we should adopt the the term DRP or darkness restoration and preservation, because I feel like the problem is when people hear the word dark skies, they don't understand what anyone's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. When they hear the word responsible outdoor light at night, roll on. They don't know what anyone's talking about. What we're mm-hmm. talking about to me and what I've gleaned from 40 episodes on, of the uh, Restoring Darkness podcast is it's about darkness restoration and preservation, DRP. Mm-hmm. What, what, mm-hmm. Do you think that's a, the right acronym and is that the right description of what the lighting industry, what darkness advocates and astronomers and everyone should adopt as the headline thing to what we're trying to do? I... I like the terminology, the restoration and preservation. We use protection also sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, those values. Um, the acronyms can get tricky. Mm-hmm. And so I try to eliminate acronyms, especially in lighting industry and the dark sky industry. We have so many acronyms. And then people outside of our world don't know what we're talking about. And we roll mm-hmm. off these acronyms and they get completely lost. I mean, a lot, of, you can't even say CCT and not lose people. Mm-hmm. So um, we try to stick with dark sky. Um, and it is a lot, a lot of people don't know what, what that means. So we have a lot of education to do and a lot of awareness to build. Um, and it's also but if we not all, just, but if we all just adopt darkness, preservation and restoration, everybody would know mm-hmm. exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. That's my problem. That's what I mean. It's hard to describe to people what you mean. Um, I, mean I sell light bulbs or light fixtures every day mm-hmm. and it's about dark skies. Well, what do you mean? Dark skies? No, I, I that that's a, that, that it's almost like people don't understand. Like the regular people are never going to understand what we're talking about. Until we get it through their heads that like it's, you understand what I mean? There's like another word for this to describe it. So people understand what we mean. I would take it even a little further and say night preservation, because the natural night sky is not dark. We have moonlight. We mm-hmm. have yes. uh, moonlight is so bright. It, it'll and the Milky Way even is so bright. It will cast a shadow on the ground mm-hmm. when it's yes. natural night sky. And mm-hmm. some people are adverse to the word dark. And night preservation includes more than the the sky. I remember as a kid in our backyard, I had the privilege of chasing fireflies. Uh, I didn't even want to catch them in a jar and keep them. I just loved to chase them around the yard. And fireflies are becoming really endangered because they can't communicate when there's light because that's how they find their mates. And against the... Um, the background of all this light, they lose each other. That's absolutely so brutal. To, I, I when I hear that, and, and and for my and I know letting letting folks on get a grip of lighting, what's called get thinking about, but but think about the impact of that. That means that wasted light at night or wasted electric light is hazardous waste. It's mm-hmm. it's a hazard. So, mm-hmm. so to nocturnal speed to diurnal species, maybe it's a circadian disruptor, but to nocturnal species, it's a hazard. Light at night mm-hmm. becomes hazardous for them, and if we care yeah. about them, we want to preserve. What we want to preserve night. We want night preservation, and maybe that's better. I think it might be better. <laughs> 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 it might be better. Might have just renamed it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's the great thing about having dialogues and conversations and multiple minds at the table. You sure. bounce off each other and get something even better comes about. So at the IDA, when you guys yeah. are convening and deciding, how do you see yourselves? International Dark Sky Association. So it's, a, it's an international body. It's a not-for-profit. It's an advisory body. Do you, you know, I don't know if you set standards or not, but how do you guys see yourself? What's your role in the world? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we can do is connect people. Uh, we can connect fellow advocates to each other and help them figure out what's working well and not working. We can connect lighting designers and advocates and policymakers and be a central hub for people to come together and start having these conversations and figuring out solutions. And uh, what is there a mandate? Is there something to achieve? Because light pollution is getting worse and worse. Yeah, it, we have. It's an accelerating problem, you know? Yeah, we have a lot of work to do. Because uh, not only do we need to, we, we'd love to reverse light pollution, right? But we are even just trying to stop the momentum of it expanding. And there's been research with Globe at Night showing in the last 10 years, ranging from 40% increase to 400% increase in some areas. And we have this just affection for light that water falls are being lit up and towers and uh, gardens and landscaping and all these things that are just may unnecessary, decorative, aesthetically pleasing, uh, but that comes at a high cost. How many locations are there, chapters are there in the dark sky, international dark sky? Yeah, there's, so there's kind of a variety. There's some statewide, there's cities that have them, um, some countries that have them. There's, it kind of ebbs and flows. There, um, some areas just have one delicate and um, some don't have any. So it kind of ebbs and flows, but it's uh, sure. a global presence, yeah. And is it something that you maybe already touched on it, but did it all, was there a year where everything hit at once or was it all just gradual and shifts and there's not one big year that you can put a stake in and say, this is when it all started and everybody got after it? Uh, so it's a, it's a little over 30 years old, the organization. And I'd say um, it's really starting to take off. Um, I would love to see it really gain a lot of traction maybe 2022 is our year <laughs> and, yeah uh, it's your year yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you um, said it's starting to take up what do you what do you attribute that to the momentum you've got um the more people i talk to they're starting to be aware of the issue they may not understand it uh, or know how to solve it but 10 years ago, I would run into people and they'd have no idea that light could be a pollutant or that there were adverse effects or that you could see sky glow from 100 miles away in a national park. That was just not a concept that many people understood. And now I'm running into people that are requesting dark sky fixtures or want to get a certification of their place. And... Um, want to visit a uh, international dark sky park so there's even astro tourism that's happening people are looking for dark sky places there's 
only about eight locations in the United States that you can still find a natural night sky. And, and most then there's of Canada. Basically, mm -hmm. the whole country is a dark sky reserve. You, you got some area. Yeah, you can access. In, Basically, in, the whole country is, but... I mean, once you get out of southern Ontario, un, you know, it's mostly dark sky. There's nobody lives there, right? So, mm -hmm. but you yeah, know. Yeah, and that's well, a challenge because you want to visit these areas and they don't have a lot of amenities. And so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to ask you something. Um, do you believe that light pollution is pollution? Like, do you actually believe that it, it's harmful? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, why has not the environmental movement embraced this? Like you have plastics in the ocean, you got carbon emissions, you got these. They they don't they don't acknowledge this as a pollution, but it's the most symbolic type mm -hmm. of pollution. We can all see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Why why is it not a symbol of the environmental movement? It's really intangible. So we you know plastic bottle. You no, it's the most it. tangible. What are you talking about? No, no carbon no. emissions are intangible. Yeah. Plastics, mm -hmm. and nobody's ever seen plastics in the ocean. Nobody, nobody's ever been out to the big thing in the Pacific Ocean. Nobody has ever seen a carbon ton. <laughs> Have you ever held the carbon ton, Greg? Everybody <laughs> sees light pollution all the time. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate symbol of uh, cap capital growth gone wild. Like the, mm -hmm. the, the light pollution. I remember seeing a tweet that said, it was a comparison of North Korea and South Korea. And it was comparing like capitalism is better than communism because there's more light pollution in South Korea. Mm -hmm. No, that should be the other way around, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, wealth should bring a night, night preservation and restoration. How come mm -hmm. we can't, as a, as a species, as an environmental movement, how come we can't embrace light pollution as a, as a pollutant? Why? Uh, we're naturally day beings, and so we like the feel of being around a fire, mm. and uh, we like what it feels like in day because we're just naturally that way. Um, you know, we don't touch and feel a lumen, um, mm. and so it's it's hard for us to grasp how much pollution there is. And you can look at the light pollution map and see it, and that's a great tool to show the extent of damage being done. Uh, one thing, great thing about the type of pollution is that it is reversible and you can solve it. And it's one of the easiest ones to solve. And it it's just going to be doing it and getting that awareness out there. Because people don't recognize, they don't know they're looking at light pollution. They don't know what light trespass is. And I kind of compare it to putting a speaker on a pole and playing it at night. You'd have a lot of upset neighbors mm, if you were blaring yeah, sure. all night long. Sure. But you're spreading light all night long into bedroom windows. Yes, yes. You, you know, to me, it's almost like to really get the point across, you got to regulate it and, and penalize people for doing it. And I don't know how, how you can ever get to that mm -hmm. point. But I just had a call two hours ago from a customer who installed some wall packs. They were full cut off. Uh, getting complaints about um, the neighbors next door to the storage unit that mm -hmm. they put up. And I have to go there at 10 p.m. some night this week <laughs> and walk around with a foot <laughs> candle meter to measure <laughs> just to help them out. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, like, how are we ever going to get to the point where people do it? They're just going to say we're going to do the right thing, even if it costs more, or are they going to say we're going to do it because we have to? 
So a couple things to that point is it doesn't have to cost more because you can use less energy with good design on lighting. And so it's not more expensive to do the environmentally responsible thing. Uh, and the, the thing, one thing is also a lot of people just choose light fixtures by looking at them in the daytime instead of putting one up, seeing what it looks mm. like on at night. And then saying, do you like this one or do you like this one better? Mm -hmm. When they have the chance to look at it side by side, they might use the one that's dimmable, more appealing, less glare, but they don't know. It looks aesthetically pleasing during the daytime, but they're not outside at 2 a.m. looking at it at night. I'm, I might be, but a lot of people, it takes a lot of effort to go with your meter outside at 10 p.m. on a good night and do that work. Um, the other thing is having it, because regulation, you have so many different factors and entities of regulation. So is it a city light? Is it a private light? Is it a county light? Is it a state light? Is it a federal light? Or is it maybe a combination of all of the above? Is it our a language. light? You're speaking our language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, the, the, you know, it, that that's exactly why education is so important. Right now, we need education for the lighting industry, not for the mm -hmm. advocates, not for the astronomers. Mm -hmm. We need education mm -hmm. for the lighting industry to say, listen, the, you know what the light, lighting industry wants to do, Diane? It wants to sell a lot of light fixtures. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Every single, if you are standing vertical and you're looking at a wall and you can actually see the source of light, that is a light polluting light fixture, mm -hmm. period, end of the story. Yeah. You should never be able to see mm -hmm. the light source. Yeah. And, 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 and that, because that's glare, that's wasted light. So if you can look at a wall, whether you're, at, you're walking around the back of a factory and there's a bunch of tractor trailers there and you look at the wall and you can see the light source, you're looking at light pollution, sky glow, 90% wasted energy, wasted light. All of that light is streaming across the world into the universe forever. That's basically right. what's happening. <laughs> It's, yep. it's crazy. So, but I would propose that we need the carrot and the stick, Diane. We need mm -hmm. incentives and regulations. What do you think about that? Yeah, there's, I think that one of the incentives is that you get to do the right thing and it doesn't cost more money. You're going to save money in your pocket as a business owner that's done this at multiple locations. It's, it feels good, both just intrinsically and then I can spend those resource, the financial resources to improve my business in ways that are more important. Um, and no, nobody's out there also thinking, I just want to waste money on lighting, uh, by, but they, they might want good design. So it's, it's a tactic that I think we can, if people are educated and aware that they'll, they'll want to do the right thing, but, um, it takes so much education to get to that point that sometimes mandates can be helpful or sometimes ordinances can be helpful. Um, it's that enforcement that gets tricky because uh, who's going to enforce it? How is it going to be enforced? Yeah, that's what I, what I want to see, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what I want to see. The lighting police. We need a whole lighting police. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, that's force. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Uh -huh. um, so when you did when you did your business uh, that you mentioned that made it night friendly, did you did you see other businesses take note of that and change what they were doing? You know what's funny is people don't even notice. 
Like, so we did a whole, they don't know if it's on or if it's off. They just, they're not paying that much attention. So we did even in Rapid City, downtown Rapid City on the main corridor of downtown, we had a lights out festival and we had brought out telescopes. We had activities and programs and a movie and um, speakers. And we had the city shut down street lights in downtown. Mm-hmm. Nobody noticed. We did it for a full hour and the old, they, they noticed the people that were attending noticed when the lights came back on and there was all this just they lost the stars at that second and that you could hear it in the audience just like everybody took their breath away that it is in kind of disappointment like oh where'd that go mm. and we did that for we're still doing it and there's nobody's come to the city and said hey uh what's going on here because their eyes adjust to the light available. Mm-hmm. And so it still seems just as bright. You know, it's Silent Spring. You know that book, Silent Spring, from the 60s, the famous book? I can't remember the author's name. Um, there's like a, uh, there, there, it's like a, it's like a, it, it, there's a theft, a theft of our heritage. It's a theft. Like every human before us, our grandparents back, mm-hmm. would have known the sky. Like my grandfather, was a um, a Canadian Royal Canadian Air Force pilot that flew planes to to Europe during the Second World War on the stars, based on navigation on the stars, and they would have been familiar with all these things, but the the pollution has been so incremental, and so constant with development that we we have there's mm-hmm. people that have never seen stars in their entire mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And as a Canadian that grew up in going to the wilderness all the time, I, I don't understand that. But there's mm-hmm. people that have never seen the Milky Way in their, or, or the Aurora Borealis or anything in their entire mm-hmm. lives. There's no perspective there. You're in the middle of a universe that's enormous. And people tell mm-hmm. you things about the size of the universe. You have no, you've never seen it with your eyes. You can see it. You can see it. Mm-hmm. And when someone says that's 90 billion light years away, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever gazed upon it in awe? That like mm-hmm. in lying in a canoe on the middle of a lake, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you looked up at it. You know, the clouds are the same way too, actually. Clouds are super interesting too. You ever lie in a canoe or whatever in a field and look at the clouds? They do, they're super w- crazy to see the world work. And, and I feel like there's a hubris or something blocking us from reconnecting with a, a, a night full of stars. Why? How can we get this? Should be so easy, Diane, to me. <laughs> it's it is the night has such a healing process because mm. we get reacquainted and with something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And our day to day problems seem so small under a star filled sky. And stories will be shared much more at night and people are more comfortable talking sometimes and revealing something about themselves and connecting more person to person. And what's concerning is that we're trying to, a lot of people born today or in the last 30 years don't have that reference point of a natural night. And so they don't know what they're trying to save. I had a reporter come and, uh, on the night festival that we had in downtown Rapid City. And she had never seen a rainbow from ground to ground before because she lived in the city with skyscrapers. 
And so she's just like these, just the seeing her rainbow blew her mind because it was so amazing. And like, well, come out at night and mm. take a look. You, you know, it's funny about, so um, we have, uh, my family's blessed. My father-in-law has a cottage in a provincial park in Northern Ontario. So you can imagine that, but even in the, in the offing, in the one side where the city is, you can see the encroachment over the years mm -hmm. of the light pollution. This is directly related to LEDs. It has nothing to do with high pressure sodium lights, which were, there was the same amount of lights in that city now as there is now, mm -hmm. as there was before. Mm -hmm. But there's something about LEDs that are just exacerbating light pollution at such a rate. And we don't want to be critical. We want to save energy. That's what this is about. Mm -hmm. But how do we get across that, you know, there's something about that lower, lower, lower Kelvin temperature or TM30, Greg. We were just talking to, you know, <laughs> Tony Esposito and, and Jason Livingston about how color works. And there's something about the lower color temperature and the cutoff and that, that, that does not decrease safety on the road, but doesn't waste all that light. That light is being generated by our electricity traveling across thousands, not thousands, but hundreds of miles mm -hmm. and can be seen from a lake in northern Ontario. That's a waste. It has to be a waste, Diane. It is. the One of the issues that I see with planners that... Uh, are retrofitting because overnight you get this high pressure sodium to LED conversion and all of a sudden your streets are 10 times brighter mm -hmm. and the the calculation isn't happening right and it might be really well intentioned and you know great yes. thing to go to LEDs yes. but when you're going from say a hundred just a hundred watt uh, high pressure sodium and then they go they cut it down to 50 watts in an LED well you just made it uh, really brighter. Yeah, you cut down the wattage, but wattage is not lumens. And mm. so they don't equate that the same way. Their calculations mm. are wrong. So when they think, okay, we're saving half of our budget of energy, well, you could save 90% and have the same illuminance that you had with the high pressure sodium. But and because most, it's cheaper, and most people don't, don't know how HPS money. works, Diane. So yes. I've sold yes. I have I have lots of HPS lights in my in my office. So an HPS light is recessed into a fixture and is a 360 degree light source. So it emits lights light in all directions no matter what kind of bulb it is. And it has to have a reflector that it bounces the light off and comes out of. LEDs are not 360 degree light sources. They are they're completely like diodes and the only way they can be spread about is through optics. And so they have these flat LED panels with massive optics which spread light in every direction. This is intentional. This is the mistake mm -hmm. we've made, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to admit it. And we say, look, all that light going vertically, that's also a waste of energy. And we just we just want to go back to the HPS that had the light right below the light fixture, and mm -hmm. we can save another night. It's a lighting boom, Greg. We can go back. We can start <laughs> over. It's a lighting boom. We got to change all those light fixtures and just have the light below the light fixture where it's needed, and maybe thirty or forty feet left or right. It's so easy with LEDs, Diane. It's so yeah. easy. Yeah, there's a lot of controls that we have now with LEDs that you can do the dimming, you can do the color temperature, you can do the angles, you can, uh, that, those are options now. And I think it's getting planners educated on what questions to ask the lighting designer and having a lighting designer at the table 
and a dark sky advocate at the table. But they always say that we need a yeah. But he, what I would say that those two should be one. Mm. Mm -hmm. Those two should be one. Yeah. The lighting yeah. designer should be a dark sky advocate, yeah. and the distributor should be a dark sky advocate, and the mm -hmm. contractor should be a dark sky advocate. Why? Because <laughs> we're going to kick off a lighting boom, and we're going to sell a ton of light fixtures, folks. Just buy in. You don't have to be as spiritual and crazy as Diane and I. You can be like Greg Eric. You just want to make a ton of money, right, Greg? <laughs> no, I feel, I feel you guys, but... Um... You know, from the local standpoint, I know you're involved in the in the board too with the IDA. Mm -hmm. But how do you decide what to do? You have monthly meetings, and do you lead it? Do you get uh, direction from the IDA down to the local chapters? How does that all work? I'm curious on the inner workings. So uh, there's advocacy calls that are monthly, and there's some education that uh, they can tune in on these calls or recordings. Uh, and connect when asked questions. Um, as a board chair for Dark State International, I'll run and preside over the meetings. And that's where we'll have some discussion on policy, uh, some governance or directions that we want to go, strategic planning. Uh, but then the engagement coordinators and other staff work directly with the chapters and the delegates. And you guys have some IDA events that you do as well that kind of, you had a conference not too long ago or a convention, is that right? Yeah, so there's International Dark Sky Week and that typically happens in April. And then there's also our Under One Sky Conference that happens in November. What it like looks like, just to, for people I like that. Know Sorry, man, I like that NRP. Yeah. I like NRP. I'm interrupting. I'm just, I'm looking at yeah. my notes here and I'm seeing darkness, but I never liked it perfectly. And I was like, oh, I like this night preservation and restoration. That is the one, Greg, night preservation or night restoration and preservation. I love that, Diane. Yep. And mm -hmm. I love the work that you do. How, how can we do a, what's that? You know that um, event in track and field with a pole vault? How can we pole vault this thing into the mm. public's awareness? Because all of our, I, I believe that all of our problems are because we lack humility. And, and, and I think mm. seeing a beautiful night sky full of stars, the more people that see that, the more we'll be able to have a dawn of humility and we'll see that we're part of the universe. How how can we pole vault this issue into the mainstream without going political, without making yeah, it a political sure. issue? Yeah, uh, having a huge, well-known spokesperson take this uh, as a champion and get the word out might be one way. Uh, education in the industry and the professionals and having it become part of the conversation of every conversation. If somebody wants to redo their lighting, what are you trying to accomplish? Do you know the impacts this has on night sky quality? And, and so then they're going to be like, well, what do you mean night sky quality? Well, the, these are going to add light pollution and, and cause impacts of that. Uh, you know, how much pollution are you okay with? Diane Newton, I think that's a good place to end it, Greg. It has been such a pleasure to speak to you. Greg, do you have any final questions or anything to go on? 
No, I'd, I'd open it up to Diane for any final thoughts, anything you want to uh, share to a lot of lighting listeners here, people in the lighting field. So anything you can share to us, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, just keep asking questions and uh, looking at what starting with off that we, we have an off switch and mm. uh, don't be afraid to use it. Wow. That's a good Gear Pond Landing podcast and a Restoring Bart Darkness podcast, Greg. But you know what I think the folks got to know? You know what they need What's to that? They got to go big yeah, easy. <laughs> <laughs> go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Go to the KeystoneTech.com website for the big easy, Greg Eric. That's right. Exterior fixtures, which we talked a lot about today, they have. And they have full cutoff, so they can make it the dark sky friendly. And low Kelvin Lighting that you need. And low Kelvin temperature. So check those That's guys right. out for your exterior needs. For sure. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Greg, where are you going to be in Dallas, September 13th to 16th? Where are you going to be? I'm going to be in Dallas. No, but at the Nail <laughs> Convention, the brother. Arclight Summit. Arclight Summit, yes. Nail Convention. <laughs> Folks, if you made it You're to right. the end, you know Greg and I, and I speak on behalf of Diane and the IDA, and when you say we love you guys, thanks for listening. Embrace the issue. We've named it. It's Night Preservation, Night Restoration and Preservation, NRP. That's I'm declaring it right now to all you folks out there. NRP, Night Restoration and Preservation. We need it as a species. I know that sounds crazy to say on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast or the, or the Restoring Darkness podcast. But if you made it to the end, thank you for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>